You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 15 through 21 this morning and uh, hopefully finish out this chapter. Uh, It's been uh, a challenging passage to look at, but I hope rewarding uh, as well. And I remind you of what we said a couple of weeks ago of one scholar who noted this, Paul's thoughts here, that is this passage, leap forth like a torrential mountain stream. They rush on with such force that they do not always come to carefully formed expression. And uh, I think after looking at this, I I would definitely concur and say that Paul is sometimes hard to follow, and uh, uh, it requires a great deal of effort on our parts and thinking about what he is saying uh, in this passage. It did remind me this week of a pastor, and I've had this experience, who was in his recliner on Sunday afternoon having preached a couple of times, and uh, he was really tired, and his young son was begging him to come out and jump on the trampoline uh, with him, and uh, the pastor resisted and resisted. He says, you don't understand, son, preaching is such hard work. And the the little boy said, well, he said, listening ain't easy either, he said. (laughs) And so we are in this together, uh, and uh, we both depend on the Lord's help together, amen, to understand his word. And uh, that's what our, our, our should be our goal is today, is to understand His Word and uh, then to seek to live it uh, in the power of His Spirit. So Romans 5, and I want to read the whole passage again in context, um, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help as always in understanding these things. And, and then, Lord, we pray as well that your spirit would apply them to our hearts and lives in your wisdom. And uh, we're thankful today for this grace and life that comes through Jesus. Help us to understand it more. And I pray that you would use me as your servant today, that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we stand back and look at this uh, passage here, it really kind of divides into three sections, verses 12 through 14. There's a paragraph, verses 15 through 17, uh, another paragraph, and then verses 18 through 21. And what Paul is doing, as, we've, as we talked about, is answering the question is, how can, uh, how can what Jesus did so long ago affect so many today, including our lives? Uh, we might ask it in a slightly different way in keeping with the theme that Paul has been talking about, the theme of assurance. We might ask the question this way, how can we be sure that the obedience of Jesus, what he did, is stronger than the terrible powers of sin and death that are in me? That's an important question. How can we be sure of this? If we're putting our faith in Jesus alone for salvation, then we need to be able to know this. And so in this passage, Paul introduces us to two unique men uh, in, in the history of redemption, that is Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is drawing a comparison between Adam and Jesus, uh, Adam's sin in the garden, and uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and then the results of these actions, Adam's disobedience leading to the fall of all of mankind, but Jesus' obedience leading to salvation and eternal life for all who trust him. And so this is the big scope of things, and here is where Paul is going with this, and I think here's the main thrust of it and the remarkable truth of it all, a precious truth, a life-changing truth, and that is that there is more grace and life in Jesus than there is sin and death in you and me. And that is a remarkable truth, church. The grace of God is stronger than the power of sin and death in me. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the wonderful message that Paul has been laying out to us to encourage us and, and, uh, and to know the, the wonders of, of the mysteries of the gospel. I don't know if you've been to a jeweler lately, probably not, given how high gas prices and food prices are, but perhaps you can remember the last time that you went uh, to see a jeweler. And you'll know, remember perhaps that one of the first things that the jeweler did when you asked to see a piece of jewelry that is there in the case is that he carefully pulls out a, a black cloth or a black mat and he lays it down on the counter for you and he, he shows you that first and then he pulls out the piece of jewelry that he's wanting that you're wanting to see and he he puts it there and the reason that he does it uh, that jewelry in front of that black cloth is so that you will see all of the splendor and the beauty and the sparkle of that piece that, he, that he's wanting to show you and so in a similar way Paul is really doing that for us here in this text Verses 12 through 14 that we talked about last week, that Adam uh, and the reign of death that, that came about from his sin. But then in, in verse 15, where we're going to start today, Paul begins to show forth Christ. 
and His marvelous work. And Paul wants us to see the luster of the gospel. He he wants us to see the glory of what Jesus has done for us against the background, the backdrop, the black backdrop of all of what Adam has caused. And, and so the passage, this passage is full of comparisons and, and contrast, and they're all worth study. We could spend even more time here than we're going to. Uh, it's worth your study, but you see all the glorious facets and contrasts. For example, just look at the text for a moment. Verse 15, you see there's a contrast between the trespass he talks about of Adam and the gift of Jesus. That's a worthy study. Verse 16, he talks about the condemnation that came from Adam's sin, but he talks about the justification that came from Jesus Christ. In verse 17, there's a contrast between death and life. Uh, Verse 19, there's a contrast between disobedience, the disobedience of of Adam and and us, and the obedience of Jesus. And there's the sinner that is mentioned there versus the righteous, verse 19. Verse 20, there's a contrast between law and grace. And then, of course, all of these contrasts are found in the two men that he is seeking to compare and contrast, Adam and Christ. And what he's trying to do is to get us to see in this passage how much greater Christ is than Adam. How much greater, how much more beautiful and glorious and life-giving is the work of Jesus Christ for us than the work of Adam. And uh, so the salvation that we have in Christ is far greater, far more glorious than the condemnation that that is in Adam. And so there's more grace in, in Jesus then there is sin in us. And uh, so that's his goal here. So let's look at it a little more closer uh, as we walk through the passage. Notice how Paul explains this. First of all, um, the work of Jesus is greater than Adam's. The work of Jesus. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You notice the phrase there, not like. You underline that. He's going to say that again in verse 16. That tells us that he's contrasting the two works here. The free gift is not like the trespass. And so there's several ways that it's not like that we should know. First of all, it's greater. Jesus' work is greater In nature, in nature. What Adam did, in other words, was a deviation from the plan of God. It was a trespass against God. It was sinful. It was a rebellion against God. That was the path. But what Christ did was he calls it a gift, doesn't he? A free gift, charisma, grace, a grace gift. What Christ did was pleasing to God. It was good and righteous. Adam's action was sinful and evil, but Christ's action is expressive of the very graciousness of, of God. So it's different in, in nature. Secondly, it's greater in its effect, in its effect that it's had. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
And there's a little confusing word here, a couple words that he uses. He uses the word many and all. And again, if you walk through the passage and you circle all the times that that's used, it can be a little bit confusing. Uh, But keep in mind, Paul is making an analogy here and his wording reflects that. When he says that many died in Adam, he's not saying that there's an exception that some uh, perhaps uh, didn't, like that that the reign of death in Adam was not true of everyone. By many there, he means all. And, And he emphasized that over and over again, right? It's not hard to see. But when he says that um, many, the first many there, uh, many died, but the last many is that Jesus Christ abounded for many. We know that, that there many does mean many. Those who receive Christ, again, he has emphasized this over and over again. Um, but for the sake of analogy, he has used these words. We'll encounter this again in the moment. But for now, notice this. All of us were in Adam. We're all guilty in sin and facing death. But notice the words, much more, he says. Much more. Here's where the effect is so much greater. If all of this happened because of Adam's sin, Paul says much more has happened in Christ's obedience, the, the many died by the trespass of one man. How much more did God's grace and his consequent gift of eternal life overflow to us in rich, undeserved abundance? The much more there is not talking about the number of people. Uh, because all died in Adam, but many will live in Christ. It's not about the number. It's about the effectiveness of what Christ has done. In short, Jesus, uh, Paul is saying, I think, that Jesus is more powerful to save than Adam is to ruin. It's remarkable. That's his point. Grace is more powerful. It's more effective than sin. Paul explains it further in verse 16. The free gift, he says, is not like, there's our phrase again, the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In other words, Paul is saying, here's what grace does. If one man's sin in Adam brought judgment and condemnation to all men, Jesus' obedience brought God's gift of of justification. That is salvation. It is overcome. It's more effective and more powerful in that there's more grace. Grace is greater than our sins. Amen? Think of that. What the grace of God has done is not just to reverse sin and and death, but it is to repair and to restore all that was lost and broken in the sin and death of Adam. The free gift of Jesus not only frees men from death, it doesn't just return them to their innocency of Adam, it takes them beyond death, beyond the innocency of Adam to the righteousness of Christ. It takes us from condemnation to justification. Grace is much more powerful than sin. This is Paul's point. It's a wonderfully assuring truth, by the way, if you stop and think about it for just a moment, um, a brief application, because Christ's work is more powerful in its effect here, that's what he's saying, greater than our sin, it means that such grace cannot be overturned. Once you come into this grace, it's, it's once you're in this grace, you remain in this grace forever. There's no falling away from grace. 
once you come into this grace, if you fall from grace, you never had it to begin with because once you come into this grace, it is so powerful, it is so certain. This is not, in other words, a display of equal powers, Adam's power in, in disobedience and Christ's power in obedience. Adam can't break back in and overcome what Christ has already done because grace is greater than our sin. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in us. It's not equal. How glorious is that? What assurance this brings in your life if you, as you've come into Christ and into His grace. Christ's work is greater than Adam's uh, because it's eternal. Third, it's also greater in its extent or its reach. Note again the wording of Paul at the end of verse 16, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. It's interesting here. Stott notes that God's judgment followed only one sin. Whereas God's gift of grace followed many trespasses. Now think about what is being said there. I think our human minds tend to think uh, the opposite is true. That uh, we tend to think that it, would, it should take many sins to attract God's judgment. But it didn't. Adam's one sin brought condemnation and judgment. Now, what does this tell you as you're thinking about this? What does this tell you about God's attitude towards sin? God has not changed his tune about this. One sin, the one sin that you committed yesterday is enough to condemn the entire human race before God. Think of that. God hates sin. And any sin calls forth His wrath and judgment. And when we think of our sin, we need to think of it as God does, but because only when we do will we understand how wonderful His grace is in covering a multitude of sins. Charles Cranfield explains it like this, that one single misdeed should be answered by judgment. This is perfectly understandable. But that the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift. This is a miracle of miracles, utterly beyond comprehension. If God hates sin that much and He can forgive you and me for all our sins, how wonderful is His grace, church? How much greater is it? How much greater the work of Christ, the obedience of Christ, than the disobedience of Adam? MacArthur writes this, The only thing more powerful in the heart of God than his hatred of sin is his love for the sinner, for you and me. And Jesus' work demonstrates that. It's greater in its extent. Notice, fourth, it's greater in its end. Verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, it ends in eternal life. 
It's remarkable news because verses 12 through 14, he talked about how death reigns in Adam. Death reigns over us, not just from Adam to Moses, but permanently in this world. Lloyd-Jones used to say the world is a place of cemeteries. It is. Death is all around us. It's all over. But Jesus' work is greater still because if death reigned in Adam, now Paul says in Christ, life reigns. In Christ, life reigns. Those who by faith take Christ in now have an abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness so that Paul, notice he even says there that we ourselves reign in life. Death used to be our king. Death used to be. We were slaves to that death. But what Christ has done is not just exchange the kingdoms that we live in. That's part of it. But he, he delivers us from the rule of death It's so radically that it enables us to change places with it so that now we rule over death. That's remarkable. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the end. And so we're staring at this incredible gospel with all of its facets against the backdrop of Adam's sin and death. And Paul says, I want you to see how glorious this is and how great this is that Jesus is greater than Adam in his work. Now again, I, I want us to pause and just think about because I know there's a lot here and, and I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees. Um, but... We have to look at the trees, and uh, then we can step back and look at the forest, the big picture of what is, is being said here. This Ferguson who writes as, as, though it's, as though Paul is painting on the largest canvas possible in history and, and saying to us in this whole scheme, this whole uh, text... He's painting for us the, the awful tragedy that sin has brought into our world. The death, the condemnation, the judgment, the alienation from God, all of the humanity. It's this dark background. And we don't even need, we need the scripture to tell us this, to interpret, but we just look around today and we know this is true, right? It's all over the place. Depravity is all over the place. Spiritual ruin is all over the place. And death and suffering is all over the place. So we get the black backdrop perfectly. But then Paul is saying to us, do you see the glories of what Jesus Christ, the last Adam, has done? It's a, it's a remarkable way that Paul is putting, putting this, this idea of, of Adam and, and Christ as, as our head. I just finished Luke's gospel in, in uh, my, my personal Bible reading, and I was thinking this week how Luke's gospel paints this picture for us as well in a much broader broader stroke than Paul does even here. It's a great illustration of what Paul is saying here in chapter 5. I don't know if you've read it lately, Luke's gospel, but just a, a brief uh, overture here. Luke gives a genealogy of Jesus, like Matthew, but different. Luke traces it all the way back to Adam. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 18, he says, he calls Adam the son of God. 
And it's very interesting, if you trace in that gospel story, this story of of Adam and and Christ, Paul wants us, just like Luke wants us, to compare Jesus and Adam. Jesus is the coming of, of a second Adam, if you will. Except right from the beginning in the gospel we be, of Luke, we begin to see that where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. Right out of that genealogy, we find Jesus in the wilderness facing the tempter, just as Adam did in the garden. Except this time, church, this time, the second Adam is overcoming the tempter. That's good news, isn't it? And then we, we scan the gospel story of Luke and we see all of the miracles of Jesus and we see over and over again that, that Jesus is restoring what was broken by Adam. He's illustrating, he's doing miracles. He's, he's uh, uh, restoring what's been lost, what's been broken. He's raising people from the dead. He's overcoming sin and death and you see it all throughout his stories. And then more than that, Jesus living this righteous life, this obedient life. At every turn where Adam was disobedient, Christ is being obedient. With every temptation, every conflict that he faces in the gospel with the religious leaders, through all of the mistreatment, Christ never sins. He's completely faithful. Over the whole course of his life, he's obedient. And you realize, church, that he's being obedient for you. And for me, this is a new and better Adam that has come on the scene. And then, remarkably, we find him the night before he was crucified in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, just like Adam was, except this time Christ is obeying. Where Adam disobeyed, Christ is obeying. The early church fathers used to uh, delight in saying this, that Adam brought the whole of humanity into the ruin at the tree in the garden. But Jesus brought salvation to his people upon a tree in Golgotha. You see, he offered himself up on the cross in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. He secured new life for us. And the third day, he rises again. He's beginning a whole new humanity, a whole new people, a new kingdom for himself. He did what Adam and what you and I could not do. Do you see this wonderful picture, church? It's an incredible thing, the glory of what Jesus has done, entering into the world and reversing everything that Adam lost and doing so by his obedience. In the final verses here, Paul highlights the fact that it wasn't just Jesus' work that was greater than Adam's, but his power, the power of Jesus' work is greater than Adam's. And there's simply no comparison to what he has done. Verse 18, Paul returns to his original thought that he began in verse 12. Uh, So verses 13 through 17 are like a big parenthesis. Verse 12, we read, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then look at verse 18. He picks back up his thought again. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
Now notice again there Paul's use of the word all. I told you this would come back up, and I just want to mention it because I don't want you to be confused by it. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. That's true, isn't it? That's what Paul's been saying. In Adam, we're all condemned, but Paul says one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, some people have tried to use verse 18 as teaching a universal salvation, right? That, that Christ, what He did, led to salvation for all men. That's not what Paul is saying there. If that's what Paul is saying there, then he's just negated everything that he's been saying for the first five chapters of Romans, Amen. You don't have to be a rocket science to figure this out. Um, all there is all who are in Christ are saved, right? All who are in Christ. He's made this clear. 1 Corinthians 15, helps us. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Those who are in Christ, who put their faith in Jesus, will be made alive. That's what he's saying. And notice the very foundation of this obedience is Christ on our behalf. That's what he says in verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, by many, again, we know that Paul means all, so by the one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. The many, those who trust in Christ, not all, but many. Christ did it all. His obedience saves us, and the only way it saves us is if we are in Christ. This is the power of His work. The same way Adam's sinfulness was passed on to us, when I put my faith in Christ, His righteousness is passed on to me, and I'm saved. Lloyd-Jones writes this, look at yourself in Adam. Though you had done nothing, you were declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ and see that though you have done nothing, you are declared to be righteous. That's the good news of the gospel. It's an exhilarating thought. We, we think about sometimes we sing, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. What is the thought? He says that my sin was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, he says. Or we think about the power of the cross that we sing. Or I was thinking this week about the wondrous mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery. That song that we sing, that verse that says, See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Who is it? Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law. In Him we stand. It's a wonderful thought. Now quickly, just a word about verses 20 through 21 and and. This is a necessary addition to Paul's words. Uh, for the Jew, uh, who would have been hearing all of this and thinking to himself, well, what about the law of God? What about the, the law of Moses? You know, if this is all about Jesus and what you're saying is true, then what about the law? Uh, verse 20. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. Now stop and think about that. For those who, who were thinking, the Jewish folks, that the law was given so that they might obey it and be saved. That's how they were approaching it. He's given the law so obey it and be saved. Paul says that's not why the law was given. It was given to reveal sin. 
Uh, in fact, chapter 7, verse 8, Paul will add that the law even provokes us to sin. It stimulates us to sin, which was likely shocking to Paul's Jewish audience. They thought that the law was given to increase one's righteousness before God. Do these things and you can be righteous before God. That's not true. It was to increase sin, to reveal sin, to provoke sin. But here's the good news. Verse 20, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is such a beautiful way to end this thought. How fitting to talk about the reign of death in Adam, the reign of life in Christ. But notice here he talks about the reign of grace and the life of a believer. The great power behind this all is the grace of God, isn't it? And it's why we, we say, we, we said at the out, outset, how can one man, what one man did so long, affect so many people today, including you and me? And how can we have assurance that what that one man did, the obedience of Jesus, is really stronger than the power of sin and death in me because I see it every day and I see it all around me? How can I be sure? The answer is right here. There's more grace in Jesus than there is sin and death in you and me. This is the good news of the gospel. Grace forgives sins through the cross. Grace bestows on the sinner both righteousness and eternal life. Grace satisfies the, the thirsty soul and fills it with good things. Grace sanctifies sinners and shapes them to be more like Jesus. And, and one day, grace will destroy sin and death once and for all at the coming of Jesus Christ. And so once we're convinced of this reign of grace that Paul speaks of, it changes us. He's laying a foundation here for this. We will, it changes us because we will suddenly have a different relationship with God as we trust in Jesus Christ. And we will remember as we come to God that His throne is a throne of grace. And Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly to find mercy and grace to help us no matter what we're facing because His grace is greater than our sins. Hallelujah for that. All of this, Paul notes in verse 21, is through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why the apostle so proclaimed Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name in, under heaven given among men by which we are saved. How is this free gift, as Paul says, how is it? It must be received by faith when we repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't done so, and if you're hearing His voice calling you today, out of the dark background of the reign of death and Adam into the reign of life and grace in Jesus Christ. If you're hearing that call today from Him, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let Him forgive you. Let Him save you today. 
And if you are saved today, then by all means, let this passage lead you to worship because it should. Amen, church? This is the beauty, the power of the gospel that we believe. And so let it lead you to worship him and serve him as the great God that he is. Father, thank you. This is a a difficult passage, Lord. And uh, we pray again for your help in understanding it and, and even applying it to our hearts and lives right now. Lord, may those of us who know you, may our appreciation and our gratitude grow as we see the depths of our sin and the depths of your love for us in Jesus Christ. And we pray for those today that may not know that or understand that that you would please open their eyes to see. Open their eyes to see Jesus and what he has done for them. That they too would turn from their sins in repentance and believe on him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.